The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Welcome to Beyond the Business, presented by the Coastal Financial Planning Group. Each Saturday morning at 8.30, listen in to successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the low country talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts, Rick Durkee, Eric Cox, and Leslie Haywood. And great Saturday morning, low country. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business, heard exclusively here on 94.3 WSC. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cox, as usual. Here this morning with Leslie Haywood. Welcome to the middle of May. Oh, my goodness. The middle of May already. Holy cow. Where's the time go? (laughs) Watch out. Oh, my goodness. Well, welcome, Low Country. And uh, make sure and follow us on our Facebook page, Beyond the Business. Or talk to us on Twitter, BTBCHS. That's Beyond the Business Charleston. Um, And I can't wait to continue our conversation with Herbert Drayton III. And for those of you that missed last week, you really missed out. Um, I mean, that was an amazing show. And I think uh, with hearing um, people, you know, people, you know, stories you don't, you go back and you realize that everyone's past is sort of messy. And I I feel like we we kind of we kind of went there with that. And you can anyone can rise above. And it's great to hear um, Herbert Drayton, the third here again, presidency of Vertical Holdings. First of all, thanks again for being back with us. Happy to be back glad, again. Thank glad you. that you came back. Yes. We didn't run you off, uh, or Leslie didn't anyway. <laughs> I have a tendency um, to do that. But to hear the story, really appreciate you sharing that with us and our listeners last week in regards to you know growing up on the east side of Charleston, which was a tough place to grow up, fight your way through that, come out, and go on to uh, be a, a CEO, an entrepreneur, having seven companies underneath of your parent company. And uh, you know it's the story that that's what Beyond the Business is all about. That you just don't wake up and become successful overnight. There is a backdrop to it. Certainly is. And, and so uh, thanks for sharing that. Leslie, any uh, key quotes or phrases you want to share from last week's show? Um, I think people are going to have to tune in if uh, to the podcast to find out what Herbert's first entrepreneurial venture was. <laughs> I would love for them to go find that out. That is good stuff. Um, the other thing they can listen to when they get to the podcast yes. is... Uh, entrepreneurship is like an omelet. I want to explain the rest of that part. I want you to go hear it for yourself. But uh, a pretty good analogy, I think, once you hear the story. Right? We're giving our listeners homework now. I like okay, that. your homework is just remember Leslie is the one who's doling that out, not me. So um, anyway, why don't we just sort of pick off where we uh, left off last week? Yeah, yeah. So um, you started. You kind of. As life sometimes does, forced your hand into entrepreneurship, and so you started talking with your business partner. And what were those early conversations like? Um, we can do this. Uh, we can start our own company. Um, partnerships can be messy too. Uh, so how how did this start with your well, with your partner? Um, my first partner is Barry Weissglass. He's an MD here in the area. Uh, Barry actually had a medical practice uh, when I met him. We met two days after I've got after I got out of the Air Force in 1991. He actually came over to me and asked me to be his workout partner. Uh, we're still workout partners. Oh, wow. Uh, we work out five days a week. As a matter of fact, yesterday morning we were in the gym at five o'clock in the morning. He gets there at four thirty. Um, so he in 2004 he asked me to come over and take a look at his business. And um, every 
promotion I had, he was one of the people that I talked to as well. So he knew my progression and um, went over, took a look at his business, um, and he asked me to join him. I joined him. Um, at the time, we were a sub sub one million dollar business. Um, we we grew that, and you know my philosophy is in in, in terms of renovating companies is you figure out what the one hundred percent is for that company, what gets it to one hundred percent, get it to eighty percent, take that twenty percent, make it your new one new hundred one hundred percent, and you keep iterating, uh, and you get you, you get improvements that way. Um, once I renovated that company. I told him that we needed to diversify and look for things that did not require a patient walking through the door. Um, that led us to uh, our first software company, another software company after that, and then a couple of other acquisitions to follow on. So what was the insight to saying, hey, we need a business that doesn't rely on a patient walking through the front door? Uh, part of it, I think it was um, 2008 was coming up, you know, right before the the economic meltdown, noticed that the the volume had dropped off. And because we primarily did occupational medicine, which is pre-employment physicals, uh, workers' comp, as the unemployment rate rose, the number of patients coming through the door for us dropped because people weren't hiring. And that's when I went to him and said, look, we, we've got to figure out a different way to do this. And um, we had already developed a software product to help me run day-to-day operations. So the plan was simply to take that software product and see if we could market it outside of our own space. Now, it, in those early days of forming a partnership, mm-hmm. how did you? How did the conversations go as far as um, delegation of power? Like, how did you decide who does what in, in the company? Actually, I'm going to try and make this a very quick story. I was offered, once I, once I renovated his company, um, I wanted to start a consulting business. So he allowed me to go out and give that a shot. Uh, the first interview I got was with a construction firm. Guy offered me a job as a COO, uh, went back, sat down with Barry, and he said he offered you, you, you the job, didn't he? And I said, yes. And Barry said, well, can you do both? And so what do you mean? So he wanted me to continue doing what I was doing there and do the COO's job. And um, I said, I don't, ha- I don't think I'll have the time. And he said, if it takes you, if you're here five minutes out of the week and you still get the same results, I'll pay you the same money. Um, so that was one of those moments where you just go, this is awesome. Uh, went back to the construction guy. He said, no deal. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got a gig in Sumter, South Carolina, where I took a company from that was making about a million a month to 1.4 million a month. And that's when all the light bulbs came on. Um, and actually, when we got to partnership, Barry asked me if um, if I wanted to buy the business, um, and he actually granted me uh, majority ownership in the company because I had turned it around and everything had worked so well. And I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, that um, I, I would always ask how much money you want to make, how much money you want to make, and I asked that with all my partners and, 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 and key leadership members. They give me that answer, and I simply try to get them to that point. And if we do much better than that, then I get to be creative with the rest of it. So that that worked out well. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, when you when you talk about turning companies around or taking them to the next level, give us some of the key ingredients that goes into that process as an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I, I look at our last venture where you you have to be able to quickly assess the talent. Um, does the, the the talent mean being the leadership? Does the leadership understand the business? 
Does the leadership understand what's wrong with the business? Does the leadership understand what's required to take the business to the next level? Um, and, and if the leadership does not understand that, you have to make the tough call to to replace the leader. You have to start there. Um, and and once you do that, everybody's on the same page. Then you're ready to move forward. Um, and in the medical practice, they took Medicaid, Medicare, and they were doing occupational medicine. And there was a conflict with the Medicare and Medicaid population and the occupational medicine. And at the time, there was a 60-40 mix. And I looked at it and said, we've got to get rid of this segment of the business. And um, people thought that I was crazy. Um, and now the Ahmed represents 88 to 90% of the business that we do on a regular basis in that particular business. Um, and some, in one of the other businesses, um, they just had too many things that they were chasing. And I remember looking at their strategy and they had, they had 14 initiatives and I said, you got to get that down to seven. Um, and the CEO and CEO at the time did not want to make that move. So we acquired the company and there were, they resigned within 60 days of the acquisition because they really couldn't put a, a, a go forward strategy. Around that, yeah. 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 Was there any point um, in, in your fixing of companies that you got it wrong? Was there something that, that you, you, I see, I like putting people on the spot. I, I like talking about the hard stuff. And now for a commercial break. Know, exactly. Exactly. I, I, you know, I, I can go back and look and where, where, where we've got it wrong. It was really with um, the people. Uh, it, it's always been, been, it starts there. Uh, the strategy could be great. Uh, but what I've found is that the, if, if the execution is flawed, uh, most times you can you can point back to the person that you've put on point to execute that strategy. So the, the strategy is it's fluid; you can change, but it's a little bit harder to get rid of to move people um, because, again, as I said last week, there's an emotional aspect to dealing with people. They're not you know pens and 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 staples and and um, you know that in paper you know. So that's the oh, tough part. One of my favorite quotes from uh, past guests, what, 80% of my problems wear shoes. Oh, you said all yeah. my problems all my wear shoes. <laughs> well, and I had, a, I had a good friend of mine. He told me that if you make the right hiring decision, 80% of your problems behind you. If you make the wrong decision, 80% of your problems are ahead of you. Ooh, like that. Yeah. You're going to have to give the next question. I got to write that one down. (laughs) (laughs) So at this point, um, so take us through um, what year is this now that you are really starting to get some traction and the the company is really growing and you're starting to acquire new things. Um, Where where are you? 2008. 2008. Yes. That was 2008 out of the door with the with the second company, if you will, third company, because I was doing consulting uh, for Mm -hmm. medical practices across the state. Uh, 2008, we wanted to we launched a software product. Um, and you know, I got to tell you, it was before the, right before the iPads where the iPads were just coming out and, um, it was a, a web-based product and everywhere we went, people were asking, is this an app? Is it, you know, and, and, and it just wasn't that. And it took me about a year to realize that, um, we needed to do something different with the product. And, um, and we went down that path. Spark at the time became a partner of ours. Uh, we redid the platform and got a little bit more traction, signed a, a national contract with a um, pool cleaning franchise. Um, that was one of the 
sort of the pivotal moments in in the life of the software. Um, and, and as things would would happen, you know, we get the software going, get a little bit of traction, and then I went off and I was doing that. But then looked at other opportunities, um, purchased a local training company, uh, purchased a company in Memphis, Tennessee, and then purchased the Dale Carnegie franchise as well. So things started to move at a, at a pretty good clip. And as I told my folks at the beginning of this year, at the at the end of last year, I, I'm I'm done with acquisitions and, mm-hmm. and, and all that type of stuff. So we're, we're at the point now where we're just focused on growth, 33% per year for each of the companies with a 15% margin minimum across the board for everyone. So, you know, and conceptually in three years, we would double our revenues and uh, we're off to a pretty good start this year. That's fabulous. Well, in case you're wondering, again, uh, whose voice that is you're hearing and the great story, it's that of Mr. Herbert Drayton III, who's the president and CEO of Vertical Holdings here in Charleston. And um, as you're describing, Herbert, this uh, growth phase that you go through and and acquisitions of companies, and it sounds like it's all happening pretty fast, um, walk us through the decision, uh, because we've, we've kind of heard both sides of the coins from our guests on this show, that, hey, we grew too fast and it hurt us. And then we've heard others say, we didn't grow fast enough, and it hurt us. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of that, how do you know when to expand, grow, acquire, and when not to? Uh, in terms of, we, we have grown too fast in some areas. Uh, and again, it goes back to, well, two things. If you don't have the right people and processes and, and systems in place, um, you'll choke pretty quickly. And that that really becomes a distraction. If any one of those elements are, are off, it becomes a distraction and because we had multiple business units, it really pulled my attention away from dealing with, you know, a, a core, um, to dealing with the growth and development of companies that we purchased to renovate. Um, but, you know, we just we just took our time. Well, I, I'm going to say I took my time and um, tried to find the right people, put the right people in place. And, you know, there's always this uh, aggressive mentoring and coaching going on. When you're dealing with dealing with folks, because people sometimes overvalue their skill sets, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's a delicate balance trying to get someone that you've said you're the leader, you're the manager, to now coach them into identifying what their weaknesses are and the things that they have to do to bridge that gap to get to where they need to be. And um, and in some instances they get there. In some in some cases you you bring in additional talent with different skill sets to surround them. That would be pretty obvious to them, and and that sometimes works as well. How about so. from a capital perspective, um, in terms of growth? Mm-hmm. You know, it's great to acquire and take on new business ventures and make it happen. Mm-hmm. How did you address the financing capital side? We have a great relationship with Reed Bain and MBSC downtown. Oh, <laughs> shout out! There you go. Yes, he has. Uh, and prior to him, it was Alan Urim. Uh, they 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 they've been great to us. Um, in fact, we just. Had a meeting with them uh, a, a week ago at the office where um, we're doing some creative things. Um, as, as entrepreneurs, you want your your bankers to be creative and innovative as well. Sure. Um, Barry used to tell me once that, you know, you want an, an, an old banker and a young doctor. And I, I told him after our last meeting with Reed that I think we want an, an old banker, a young doctor, and a young banker as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So they can really think outside think the outside box. Think outside the box. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we're just like any other small or growing company out there where we reached a point where cash was tight. Um, you know, you, you know, I, I've had, I had many sleepless nights um, early on. I think the first year uh, 
I didn't get paid. I missed five paychecks. And, you know, when you move from, say, like a Roper hospital where it's like clockwork, you know, right. every two weeks you're getting checked. And to realize that you've got people depending on you to make their paychecks, you pay them. They get paid first. Sure. Yes. And, you know, you you max out your credit cards and your line of credits, your, your, your cash line with folks so that you can just cover your bills. So, But that's the spirit of an entrepreneur right there. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Bootstrapping. Now, when yeah. you acquire a company, what is it that you look for? You said uh, when you're looking for a company to renovate because uh, you've got such a diverse yeah. um, you have such diverse companies. What do you what makes the perfect company to? Oh, I want to renovate that company. Yeah. I, I, I think it's the people uh, and in both cases um, where there's actually been a an acquisition. They approached me and asked me to acquire uh, the company, uh, the the I think the only exception to that would be the the Dale Carnegie franchise. I was having a conversation with Jim Geffert about using my software, and Jim said to me that you know I need to get this thing right because I want to sell it in 24 months. And um, Jim left my office, and I immediately called Ingrid Tugwell, who's a minority partner, and she owned PS a company called PST at the time, and um, I said. You know, we wanted to, to double the revenues of your companies that merge, pulling the two of these together will do it overnight. Um, and we talked about it for about 24 hours. And then I called Jim and said, hey, when you're ready to sell, I want first first right of refusal. <laughs> and I think about six months later, we closed the deal to, to purchase a franchise for the state. How exciting is that? Yeah. 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 Things move fast in your world. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm going to switch gears a little bit, Herbert, because I know uh, in addition to having your hands in a lot of pots professionally, you also uh, are spread pretty wide uh, here in Charleston in terms of your involvement, community mm-hmm. involvement, and philanthropy. Um, I know you're a member of the Coastal Community Foundation, uh, Stewardship Committee, Advisory Board for the Center of Entrepreneurship over at the College of Charleston, which mm-hmm. I'm pretty fond of myself, uh, past vestry member. Um, at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church, um, goes on and on and on of the involvement you have. Why is your involvement in this community so important from a professional and entrepreneurial perspective? Hmm. Well, uh, I'll, a couple a couple of things. Um, I'm, I'm on the board at Coastal Community Foundation and on the board at 180 Place. Um, both those organizations actually serve the community that I grew up in. Um, church. I worked in the soup kitchen at 180 Place, uh, loved their mission to end homelessness, loved their mission to, to end homelessness for vets, uh, which is a, a national initiative. That's been great. Uh, Coastal Community Foundation, um, you, know, I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I read 30 scholarship applicants from folks across the, the coastal um, areas of, of, of South Carolina. Uh, and it was the, for the um, Scholarship for um, the Emanuel Nine, the, the events with the Emanuel Nine, um, Reverend Pinkney, Re- Reverend Pinkney Scholarship, and it was great reading scholarships. That's the type of stuff that the Coastal Community um, Foundation does, and that's you know just just being able to be a part of that and to have a voice in how they actually impact the community. It's a great thing. Um, church, you know. Growing up on the east side, we walked to church and took that station wagon to church at St. Stephen's Episcopal. Um, what used to be all um, African-American. I remember being in the Air Force stationed in the Azores, and my dad called me and said, 
we got white people in the church now. <laughs> so, big news. Things are changing uh, in yeah, Charleston. Big news. Yeah, that's, that's, that's been an incredible evolution. So I get to, to give back there. Um, just last week, um, we had a barbecue that asked me to be the finance guy to collect all the money and count it, which is in itself a, a, a thrill. You know, you get to see, you know, people really coming out and giving the help to youth again. Now, what do you think um, as an exit strategy for you? We like to talk about, you know, succession planning. And mm-hmm. what, what do you see yourself doing? What's your five-year, 10-year plan? What does that look like for you? Uh, so Barry's 10 years, 12 years, 10 years older than I am. Okay. And uh, Ingrid is five years younger than I am. So the succession, the exit strategy is first to take care of Barry. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Make sure he's got a good exit. And hear then, that, Barry? You're being taken yes. care of. <laughs> <laughs> and then take care of me and then, then take care of Ingrid. It's interesting, you know, about a month ago, Ingrid and I, we were talking about the exit strategy. And when we put, to, put the plan together for Barry, she looked at it and said, um, that's too much money. We need to recalculate that. And I looked at her and said, so when you're sitting here having the conversation with a future partner, you're going to try and take money from me, too? <laughs> right. He's like, I and see how you are. She said, never mind. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Good thought. Good thought. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. so give some advice on that in terms of, again, you have obviously been very successful in building mm-hmm. business, uh, acquiring business, turning business around. But there's a whole other side of that, which is exiting a business. Yes. Right. Yes. And so. um Give us some insight on your thoughts or if you've guided other companies in how to prepare yourself for an exit. I, I think every entrepreneur should be able to answer this question. And it's a question I've been asking. I've asked uh, Barry and Ingrid, you know, for many, many years. How much money do you need to retire mm-hmm. without even focusing on on what the value of the business is? Find out what they what, what they need and then you create the business in such a way so that you can address that. I think many entrepreneurs do it. They do it the, the opposite way. Um, they, they try to look at the business and they, they want to apply all these multiples. Well, with our business, it depends on which business you're talking about, um, which multiple you apply to it. And, and if one business sells, um, you really have to keep in mind, you have to know what this, the number is that each of the partners want. Um, my number is different than Barry's. My number is different than Angus, but we know what those numbers are because someone could come in and say, I want to give you X number of dollars for the business. Well, if that amount is going to meet our dollar value, I don't have to have a discussion. I'm the minority owner of tag and drag components of our operating agreement. I don't have to have that discussion. I can simply say, this is what you said you wanted. This is what we're doing. Um, A lot of entrepreneurs don't know what that number is. Um, Like I said, I've known what my number is for about three years now. And uh, we've, in the past, let's say five years, three years, um, we've gotten offers to buy various parts of the company. And and the math was easy. You know, I would, if we got an, a request to purchase, I would send them the P&L, send them the balance sheet so they'll know exactly what they're looking at. And now I don't have this protracted discussion. It's something that happens within seven days. They give us a number. We, know, we already know what to say no to. Right. So it really gets things going. So the, the advice is figure out what your number is. Don't try to look at the business and figure out what the business can do for you. Right. No, that's amazing advice. I want to do something fun in the last few minutes that we have here. It's called the lightning round. Oh. Uh, I mean, really lightning round. Seat, okay. I, I want to get to know you just a little bit. Really quick, short answers. All right. Favorite movie? Uh... X, Malcolm X, Denzel uh, Washington. Best book you ever read? 
Um, why should white guys have all the fun? Most most influential person in your life. In my life right now, uh, my son and my daughter. Oh, thing you are most proud of. My son and my daughter. Awesome. Number one thing on your bucket list to do. Uh, visit at least five uh, national historic places in the United States. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. I love it. I'm still getting over the, uh, the book. It's <laughs> great. So, it's um, an autobiography of Reginald Lewis. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Why should white guys have all the fun? Yeah. So, um, so um, I don't know where to go from there. Um, thinking about Charleston, um, you know, we've got about a, a minute and a half left on the show this morning. Thinking about the future of Charleston and where Charleston is going and obviously all the boom. Give us some perspective on your insight to that. Uh, my insight to that as a um, as a Charlestonian, right? as a Charlestonian African American, I, I, I believe in economic empowerment. Um, that's why I work with the ICAT. Love working with entrepreneurs. I, I think if we uh, work to diversify the entrepreneurial community here, um, that's going to be the best thing that could happen to Charleston. It shouldn't be all one color, all all one type. Um, if we can get some diversification there, and that means with the women, the African Americans, Hispanics, all of them, we bring all of them to the table. I think it's going to be a good thing for Charleston. Great stuff. Wow. I well, think. Herbert Drayton the third, great show. Thank you for your time. Uh, President and CEO of Vertical Holdings. Um, again, another wonderful show, Leslie. And, yeah. Uh, walking away with a lot of inspiration today. I know. I'm excited. Uh, this is this has been very, in- you've been inspirational. Thank you so much for your time. And folks, uh, make sure and follow us on our Facebook page, Beyond the Business, and on Twitter, BTBCHS. And uh, we'll chat with you there. All right, Eric. I we'll think be back we're next Saturday. Another guest, 830 here on 94.3 WSC. Until then, Charleston, have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, presented by the Coastal Financial Planning Group. If you're a successful business leader or entrepreneur and would like to be featured on a future program, send an email to rick at cfpgroup.biz. Listen in next Saturday morning at 830 for Beyond the Business, presented by the Coastal Financial Planning Group and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.